Good morning. Um, shall we just pray as we start? Father, I want to thank you again for the fact that you are going to speak to us this morning. And Lord, for the fact that you want to just challenge and, and minister to our hearts. And so I pray this morning that we would just be open to your Holy Spirit moving amongst us and teaching us. Lord, give us teachable hearts this morning. And I pray, Lord, that as you speak to us, we would be changed as we hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so yes, as Laurie said this morning, the title is Worship and Warfare. And um, I've been really challenged this week as I've been preparing this. Um, those of you who came to Encounter or who listened online last week have already heard, heard me talk about how the Lord gave me fresh revelation a couple of weeks ago about how important worship is for us. And that's true for us both individually and corporately. Um, if you haven't listened to Encounter, one of the things that he showed me was that actually worship has the power to actually remove some of the wrong perceptions that get in the way of our relationship with the Lord. It's extraordinarily powerful. And I think it's actually, it's too easy to underestimate how vital it is to us and, and therefore to miss how powerful it is. And... I mean, I've, I've been around church life for many years, as have many of you, and, and how often do we find ourselves complaining or just being a little bit negative or a little bit put out because maybe the sound quality wasn't great, that's especially true while we're online, Hello. maybe we didn't like the tune, maybe we prefer a different tune for one of the songs that we sang, maybe we didn't know any of the songs, maybe we didn't like any of the songs... Or maybe they were too modern, or they were too antiquated, or maybe the worship leader didn't sing well. Maybe we just come, come and go, well, I wasn't really in the right mood. And all of those things, we don't necessarily mean them in a really horrible way, but those kind of things, I think, really detract and, and cause us to complain about the worship. And actually, when that happens, we completely miss the point. I was, as we were singing that song this morning, One Thing Remains. It's, it's familiar, isn't it? It's, it's, we've been singing it for a long time. And the line in it, I never, ever have to be afraid, like hit me between the eyes this morning. Because I thought, how often does the, the familiarity with the words that we sing lessen their impact? And that only happens if our hearts are not quite in the right place. And that also got me thinking that actually, when we sing these extraordinary words, why are we not in a, a really emotional state? Why do we not have either tears of joy streaming down our faces or just tears of, of, of that intimacy and encounter with the Lord? And I think all of us, myself completely, because I've been challenged this morning, we, we, we really do lose some of the impact and, and miss the point. Because sometimes we come thinking that the worship's just going to make us feel better. Or it's a bit of a warm-up to the sermon. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Actually, it's, it's not those things. And I'm not surprised that so many things do prevent us from engaging in worship because the enemy 
does understand the power and importance of worship. And so he will try any and every single tactic to stop us properly worshipping. And I think it's even more of a challenge while we're in the middle of this pandemic because we can't sing in church. So we have to find other ways to really fully engage our hearts because that's what it's about. When we worship, we are meant to turn all of our attention to God. It's not about singing a few songs. It's, worship is actually intended to be a supernatural kingdom encounter. It's more spiritual than musical. And actually, it, worship is really helpful in enabling us to enter the presence of the Lord. If we're allowing our minds to kind of wander off somewhere else because we're not allowing our hearts to engage, then it's not going to have that impact and it's not going to bring us into the presence of the Lord because we're not choosing to give of ourselves in that. Worship, worship is not a means to anything, but it is the goal. It's the end in itself. We don't worship God for us or in order to get something. In fact, 2 Corinthians three to five, I, or I think I read this last week, it says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Worship is one of those weapons. It is so powerful. I don't know if any of you here or anybody at home has ever come across um, an evangelist called Terry Law. He actually died last year, but he was the founder of World Compassion. He was an author, as I say, he was an evangelist, and he, he travelled the world preaching the gospel in some of the most dangerous and risky places. And on one of his mission trips, his wife and his three kids were at home, and his wife was killed in a car crash while he was away. And he described feeling as though his world had completely fallen apart. He said that he was swallowed up by grief, sorrow, self-pity. You might argue that that's justifiable. But he went into this place of utter despair. And in the midst of that place, the Lord challenged him to start worshipping. And he wrote this. God has given us praise and worship in our personal arsenal to use against the enemy. They are tools that break through the heavenlies all the way to the throne of God. The sacrifice of praise and the blessing of worship saved my life. I love that. It's true. And, and no wonder Satan tries to cause division over the worship life of a church because we just fail to see what worship really is. And it's linked with warfare. Thursday night, actually, I, one of my favourite contemporary worship leaders is a guy called Phil Wickham. We sing a lot of his songs, and many of you will know them. And I actually follow him on Instagram. <laughs> and on Thursday night, he posted a quote from someone who'd recently been in one of the worship times that he was leading. And this is... This is um, what he wrote. It wasn't, this quote is from somebody else, but he quoted it. Last September, we lost our oldest granddaughter. She was 16. Needless to say, we've been devastated. 
The last four months have been the biggest challenge to our faith that we've ever had. Finding God in the face of unanswerable questions has been a struggle. The way you open worship with the focus totally on the Lord broke something in both of us. The pressure of the last few months and the hardness that threatened to take hold of our hearts was literally shattered last night. Isn't that beautiful? What happens in worship is more real than I think our finite human minds can sometimes comprehend. The passage I want to look at this morning, and I'm hoping um, it's going to come up, is from 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It's long, but I do think it's worth reading, so bear with me. Yay, we've got it. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Meunites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. It's a beautiful prayer, isn't it? But now here are men from Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt, so they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph. As he stood in the assembly, he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. 
Then some of the Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they had finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. This is why it is called the Valley of Baraka to this day. What a graphic and beautiful picture of the effectiveness of worship on the people of God. I, I love that story. It's just amazing. Jehoshaphat had received this horrible threat from the enemy, and it says he was alarmed. But what does he do first up? He goes and inquires of the Lord. It's a great choice. When we're facing struggles, when stuff's coming against us, our first response must be to go to the Lord. And then he pours out his soul, doesn't he? That prayer is beautiful. He literally pours out his soul to the Lord. And then verse 14 tells us that the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. And his words are, do not be afraid because of this huge multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. That's true now for us in our battles. Every battle we face, we are not alone. We've just sung, I never ever have to be afraid. This is true. This is not just some story way back in two chronicles. This is true now for us right now. The battle belongs to the Lord. And when they go to the Lord, he gives them really specific instructions. 16 and 17, he says, march down against them tomorrow, tells them where they will be. But then he says, you don't have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm. That's important. We stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. And I think that sometimes we forget that God intends for us to be victorious. We can go through life and if we're not focused on the Lord and if we, if we haven't got hearts right and if our attitude towards this stuff isn't right, then we will see some defeats. But God intends for us to be victorious, to be triumphant, to take territory for the king. We extend his kingdom on earth. That is what every single one of us is called to. 
And that's the thing. When we, when we choose to do life according to God's will for us, when we take the time to seek him, to be obedient to him, we actually can be the agents of change and break the hold of some of the negative stuff, the negative influences and atmospheres over a whole region. And as I was preparing this, and I don't quite know what I mean by this, but I really believe there is something in this about us being a properly worshipping community that will break some of the negative stuff around us here in Chesham Boys. I'm, I'm not saying there won't be battle. There will be battle. Of course there will be battle. This is the amazing thing. God sets us up to win. And I, I know that over the last few months, this is what I was talking about last Sunday, I'd forgotten that completely. But the reality and the truth is God sets us up to win and to grow through the process of the battle when we properly lean into him. But that's the key. We have to properly lean into him. We're called to see what God can do and not what we can't do. It's a very different thing. And that's what Jehoshaphat did. That's why I love this story. One of the things I said last week is that when we choose to think more about our problems and they become our focus, or we choose to focus on what the enemy is doing, we actually will be unduly impacted by them. It's where we fix our eyes. Jehoshaphat, we see, he fixed his eyes on the Lord straight away. He came and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Golly, what a different perspective. He's got these three armies coming to try and destroy him, but yet he goes, no, God, you're bigger than this. I'm going to fix my eyes on you. And I think if we fix our eyes on the problems, we, we can actually end up in the wrong battle. We end up fighting in an area where God doesn't want for us to fight. When, I, when we, we put our focus on God, we will win more battles through not striving than we could ever win through our own efforts. Because when we're doing it in our own efforts and we're focusing on the problems, we're not in sync with the Lord. We are out of sync with him. And, and that's why the alignment of our hearts is so, so important. Whatever or whoever our hearts are focused on will have dominion. It's just a fact. And we'll pursue what our hearts are focused on. And if you think about it, our worship has to come from our hearts. So we have to enthrone Jesus in our hearts and not enthrone our problems. Yes, Lord, I'm listening. <laughs> and so Jehoshaphat, having heard from God, firstly, he believed him. That's quite important because sometimes we don't believe what God says because we're so full of our own doubts and fears. But he believed him and then he declared it out loud. He declared it out loud to the people. That's awesome. And he demonstrated it by sending out the worshippers in front of the army. Who goes into battle with people singing at the front? <laughs> 
You know, it's a kingdom thing. It's not an earthly thing. And as they worship God, God himself set ambushes against the enemy and the enemy was defeated. And in verse 23, it tells us that those three different enemy factions helped to destroy one another in the end. The same is true today. We just need to believe it. I think there's such a lesson in this for us. As, as we do what we can do in the natural, in obedience to God's word to us, and as we engage in worshipping and fixing our eyes on him, there is a release in the unseen realm and God's purposes are accomplished in the earth. And what I love about this is when we're fighting the battles that God calls us to in his strength, the word of revelation, whatever that is that he gives to us in the midst of battle, we then really possess it because it's written in our hearts. It's not just information. When we're, we're pressing into God in the midst of spiritual warfare and we really are pressing into God, it's as if his word that he gives to us in those testing times becomes branded on our hearts. The stuff that I've learned over the last two or three weeks, it's really in me now, you know? It's not just something that I heard and I've forgotten about because God's written it into my heart and we can't lose it then. It's almost like it becomes part of who we are. It becomes part of our identity. And we come into victory by celebrating that victory even if it's just slightly before that victory is fully realised. That's what walking in faith is all about. It's declaring the battle belongs to the Lord. I am victorious, even if we haven't quite got to the end of the battle. Does that make sense? Victory comes when we stand and give the glory to God in the midst of the battle. It's so, so opposite to worldly thinking. That's why it's a challenge to us. That's what that quote that I read to you from Terry Law is all about. He was in the midst of the worst battle probably that he'd ever had to face, a battle against grief and despair. And as he worshipped, he was able to declare, God is good, I am victorious. And as he said, it saved his life. There's something really important in this for us, I think. We don't have to fully understand it. I still find it quite difficult in some ways to articulate my experience of the last two or three weeks because it goes so deep into my very soul and God's revelation to me in the midst of my own personal battle is I might not be able to articulate but it's written in my heart I know it I know it in here and the the shift and the breakthrough came as I started to worship God on the battlefield I can say it's true because I've experienced it and if you if you want to know a bit more and you haven't listened to Encounter, have a listen because that I, I try to kind of unpack that a little bit. We all know the verse from Psalm 22.3. It says, God inhabits the praises of his people. Or in another translation, he is enthroned on the praises of his people. The thing about worship is it's actually the language of heaven. And in heaven, it never stops. <laughs> There is worship going on in heaven 
for eternity, and it never, ever ceases. So our active choice to worship God is the most terrifying thing to the demonic realm because it is, it is the language of heaven. It's the language of power. And that is why Satan tries to stop us from doing it. He tries so hard to keep us self-focused and preoccupied with so many other things to stop us worshipping. It's what I said at the beginning. It's because he knows the power in worship. And so I just want to encourage all of us today to choose to be a worshipping community. Because if we, if we fully engage and really offer ourselves to the Lord in worship, his power is released. There's no might be about it. It is. And I think... I think, as I said earlier, I think there's, there's something in this in terms of our vision for the building project and the stuff that we want to do in the community. And as I say, I, I haven't got more revelation on that, but I do believe that there is something, there is a challenge to us about how we position ourselves for battle as worshippers. And it's counterintuitive. You know, we don't, we don't fight fire with fire. We, we fight all our battles by fixing our eyes on Jesus and by being a worshipping people. And God wants us to do that. He wants us to be a worshipping people in our community to break the enemy's hold, to break the enemy's hold over people's lives. This is not what we can get from it. I'm not saying that. This is about the kingdom being extended in our area and in our community and others coming to faith. And... True, spirit-filled worship comes out of hearts that are properly surrendered. So what is stopping us? What is stopping us fully surrendering to the Lord? What are the things in my life, what are the things in your lives that stop you fully surrendering to the Lord? What are the things that we hold on to? God wants us to absolutely, 100%, align our will to his will in our lives which is what Jehoshaphat did in this passage. And I don't need to say this, but we have to kind of move away from that, that sense that sometimes worship is a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling. And sometimes it is a, you know, God ministers to us so gently and so beautiful that you do get a warm, fuzzy feeling. But that's not what it's about. It's a position. Worship is a position. It's a, a stance, a stand that we take and therefore, it's always a choice. We don't have to feel like worshipping. That's the biggest lie of all. Oh, I don't really feel like it today. And I know from when I watch church online at home, it's really difficult to fully engage in worship. Because, you know, you might be sitting on your nice comfy sofa with a cup of coffee and something catches your eye. or what. It's so easy to become distracted and not fully engage. And the same is true, as I say, because we can't actually sing. But that's not the point. And I think that's why this is important, because this is something we can do even before we're out of full lockdown and all that kind of stuff. I think this is about a challenge to us to position our hearts. So we, we have to choose to disregard the fact that we, we might not like the tune or the lyrics or whatever, 
or we might feel a bit self-conscious. You know, the thing about putting your hands up, it's not about just putting your hands up. It's actually, we're giving of ourselves, aren't we? It doesn't matter what other people think. If you want to dance before the Lord in worship, like David did, it's undignified. It might be embarrassing, but if that's what God is calling us to, oh my goodness, we've got to break through all of that self-consciousness as well and worship fully. So this morning, I guess I just want to finish by saying, let's activate this. Let's make that choice. Activate our will. And when we're allowed to, we fill our lungs and we sing out at the top of our voice. But we find that way of worshipping by offering our hearts to the Lord. And that is why worship and warfare are so inextricably linked. Amen.